listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 194. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with former NBA player and entrepreneur Devin Durant to discuss his book, The Values Delta, and how to emphasize your values to make a positive difference in your personal and professional life. Durant explains how your moral compass is defined by your behavior, optimism, and gratitude. And it is those three aspects that direct your next steps in your work, relationships, and life. If you're looking to enhance yourself and those around you by prioritizing your values and focusing your efforts, then this is a must-listen episode. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What if you could rapidly accelerate your team's performance and skill acquisition just minutes before practice or game? NeuroTrainer triggers high-performance states with virtual reality brain training that can be deployed in the gym or at home. In just eight minutes, your team will be more focused and ready for whatever you or the game throws at them. Visit NeuroTrainer.com to schedule your demo and get your team locked in. Hey, Devin, how are you? I am doing great today, Grant. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Awesome. Well, I'm, uh, I'm delighted and honored to have you on my show. I can't wait to, to get into your mind um, as an athlete, as a professional athlete, and also as an entrepreneur. But to talk about your book, we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time uh, in this podcast talking about your book, The Values Delta. But we're also going to talk about behaviors and optimism and gratitude and all the other things that kind of intersect and connect to those three topics. Yeah, that, that sounds terrific. I, I look forward to it. So fire away, Grant. All right. Well, as you know, being a mental performance coach and having this show called 90% Mental, I'm, I'm, kind of, uh, I'm kind of connected to mental toughness. And I always ask this question because even though all of us as performers, we, we know that there's a level of mental toughness that we have to endure and train and connect with. So, but everybody actually answers this question a little bit differently. So when you think about mental toughness, what does it mean to you? I'm, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to, to respond to that because I have strong feelings myself about mental toughness. I admire the work that you're doing in, in that area because I, I think it's so critical in athletics, but certainly in many other aspects of our lives. And uh, I think I'll start with a quick story, if I yeah. may, Grant, uh, as it relates to mental toughness. I'm I'm turning black back the clock quite a bit, but this is this was happened to me back in eighth grade. So I think I was 13, 14 years old, and I, I tried out for the ninth grade basketball team as an eighth grader. I didn't figure I'd make the team, but. I, Thought I couldn't lose, be a good experience. And somehow, some way I made the ninth grade team as an eighth grader. 
And it soon turned into quite a mistake because the ninth grade coach was was very demanding. Uh, he, he pushed all of us beyond uh, any of our limits, but he was tough. He was mean. And uh, we did a lot of running and he did a lot of yelling. And, and at the same time, I, play, I played in games on the seventh and eighth grade team. So the seventh and eighth grade coach was a very nice man. And so playing for the seventh and eighth graders was very comfortable for me. Playing on the ninth grade team was very demanding and very unsettling, very uncomfortable. So later in the year, the seventh and eighth grade coach, he approached me and he said, hey, we have a big game this weekend. Will you practice with the seventh and eighth grade team during this week and before our game so we can prepare and have some continuity? And I said, uh, sure, I'd love to, but I need to check with the ninth grade coach. His name was Rick Bullis. And so I saw Coach Bullis in the locker room and I said, Coach, the seventh and eighth grade coach would like me to practice with them this week in preparation for this game. He said, what do you think? What do you want to do? And I said, well, well I knew in my heart what I wanted to do, but I, I tried to soften. I said, well, I'd probably be good if I practice with the seventh and eighth grade team because there's an important game coming up. And normally I only played in the games with them. But when I gave that answer, he looked at me and he said, I never want to see you again. And I thought to myself, okay, well, I guess that was the wrong answer. And so the next day, I just showed up at the ninth grade practice as if nothing had happened. And he didn't say anything to me. And he continued to be very demanding. And I didn't practice with the seventh and eighth grade graders that week and got to play the game. But he helped me understand, even as a young boy, that that tough mentality is very important in, in, in athletics and being willing to push yourself and challenge yourself and not take the easy path, but take the most difficult path. And, and by so doing, you develop physically, but more importantly, you develop a mental toughness that, that is so critical, as you well know. And it was interesting. I, I only played for that man one year as a very young boy, but he, he helped me create a mindset that I wasn't intimidated in future years by tough coaches or tough situations because he toughened me in his own way during that, that one simple basketball season. And while I hated every second of it, uh, I love the man. and. I just worship him. I'm so grateful for the experience he provided for a young boy years ago. You know, coaches are important. There's, there's some coaches that, you know, can say a few things and those few words can last forever. And also some of the bad ones, the bad words too, and, and those can last forever too, but their actions can, can also leave not only last forever, but change, change someone's mindset and behavior in a good way. You know, when you think about mental toughness and I have so, you know, it minds the way I've looked at mental toughness and depending on the context, it does kind of change from time to time. And it's really fun to kind of play with the meaning of it. But when you are in a mentally tough situation, there is a component of trust, of really trusting yourself, trusting 
you're the way you're going to answer that question, trusting how you're going to deal with adversity. Uh, you know, when you, you're the one that actually, you know, lost the game, whatever it comes up, but you have to deal with trusting yourself and accepting and, and doing that allows, I believe an attribute or a quality that allows someone to connect a little bit more with their mental toughness is, is trusting themselves. I agree. I, I might uh, say it a little differently. It, it, for me, it's so much of mental toughness is, is self-confidence. In, in other words, trusting in, in yourself. And, and I've had periods of time as I grew up and, and beyond where I, I felt a lack of confidence. And I saw how that impacted my performance and just recognize again how critical that is, certainly for young children as they develop their attitude about themselves. But it's interesting to see that even in professional athletes, how when their confidence slips, how it impacts their importance, where that that trust of self may be questionable at times, how that translates into performance and results. Absolutely. You know, and and this is more for youth athletes and high school athletes, um, this question, since we're talking a little bit about that, that period of life for you. But motivation, like when you think about when you were playing basketball, what was your motivation when you're playing at that time of your life in youth and high school? And how did your motivation change? And I'll stop that question there because my motivation when I was playing high school as a quarterback, it was very extrinsic. It was very external. And it wasn't about if I, if I played well, people would think I'm a good quarterback. It was if I played well, the motivation was, will they like me? Like, will I be liked? And if I lose or, or play poorly, it wasn't that they were thinking I was not a shitty quarterback. It was that they not, won't like me as a person. And that and that really made my confidence go up and down. When I got into junior college and played with an incredible coach, incredible team, my mindset and everything shifted. I had a completely different motivation. But I was that was a very crazy existence during my high school. So what was your motivation like and, and how did it change throughout your career up into the professional ranks? Well, again, turn, turning back the clock a few years back to high school, I I in junior high, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and that, that's where I had the blessing of playing for Rick Bullis, this tough coach. Mm-hmm. But then as I entered my sophomore year in high school, I, I was living in Provo, Utah, and I walked into the gym in the middle of the summer, and the head coach was a man named Jim Spencer. And so they, they had a some sort of basketball camp going on during the summer, and all the, the high school guys were there. and. So he, he called everyone together to introduce me to my future teammates. And he said something that stuck with me, which, which was simply, you know, here's Devin Duran. He comes from Kentucky. He's talking about me for a second. Then he talks about Provo High School basketball. And this is the late 70s. And he says, we just want you to know that Provo High School we are the UCLA of high school basketball. And at the time, UCLA was in their prominence, John Wooden and, and all the great UCLA basketball players. And, and with that one statement, I understood that there were expectations. And he was starting to paint a vision of 
what was expected. And, and, and I felt that healthy pressure right then of you're held to a higher standard here. And I certainly wanted to be liked by the guys, but uh, in a way it was almost secondary to, Hey, you need to elevate your game because here we're, we're not about, you know, winning our league or division. We want the ultimate crown, which at that time for us was the state championship. And so it was a, it was a wonderful introduction to a, a winning tradition established by, by my high school coach. I love that. I had another situation when after I got cut from the Phoenix Suns in the NBA and had played previously with the Indiana Pacers. And so I decided to try my hand in Europe. And I went to, over to Spain and started to play and, and had that experience like you shared where I wanted to be liked by my teammates, certainly. I fell into it with a great group of guys and I, I speak Spanish. And so that made it a little, little bit easier to fall in socially. But I struggled at first and I felt my confidence slipping. And for one or another, I couldn't get out of it. And uh, I think I was maybe four or five games in and one of my teammates came to me and said, hey, you got to start playing. And but he said in a way that I felt like he believed in me. Like, okay, I know you can play, but you're not showing it so far. So pick it up. And that was all it took for me was to feel uh, not really a friendship from him, but a confidence in Hey, I, I know you can play, so let's go. And it, everything changed for me from that point on where I thought, well, if he believes in me, I need to start believing in myself more and I need to deliver the goods. And it was an interesting turning point for me. But from, from there, it was uh, just straight up. When you heard that, though, did you hear, was there any um, inner undertones or inklings of like, hey, we need you? You know, he said, hey, well, we need you to play. But it was more like, did you hear like, we need you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That was part of it. And it was, it was, uh, it was basically, I know you've got it in you. But what are you waiting for? <laughs> right. Let's, you know, it's, it's time to show up and be the player that, that we heard you were, that we think you are, and it's time to deliver. Well, you know, when you think about your mindset as an athlete, and we'll talk a little bit about how that your mindset as an athlete, how that carried into your life after basketball, being an entrepreneur, now an author. Um, but when you think about being like District 7 Player of the Year, All-American, being the 25th pick in the NBA draft, NBA draft uh, from the, the Pacers, and then still playing, you know, in the NBA and, and overseas. When you think about all your experiences as an athlete, all those years, all the reps, all the practices, how would you describe your mindset? I think the, the best description of my mindset would, would simply be confidence. I was, I was so blessed with the parents that I had. My dad, in his way, always encouraged me to have a belief in myself. He, he took a very soft approach and a loving approach. And my mom was the opposite end of the spectrum. She was tough, but it was it was tough love. 
And she also instilled in me a feeling that I could believe in myself. So that, that combination of mother and father believing in this young child who was growing fast was instrumental for me. All along the way, I, I felt that confidence. And then I had an older brother. He's about four years older. And all of your listeners who have older brothers who have pounded on them and, and demanded that they be better. <laughs> yeah, you know the drill, Grant. I do, I do. That, that in a way, having that older brother kind of kick you around at times also instilled confidence in me. And, and that, that's been a, a key ingredient, a key value that's, that's propelled me uh, through my younger years. But, but yeah, even now as I'm enjoying older years. Awesome. So let's get into your book. I know this is an exciting time. I know what it's like to write a book and, and to talk about your thoughts and your journeys, your theories, your principles, all that good stuff. So, you know, your book is The Values Delta. Um, when you think about your book, what what was the motivation to write it? What inspired you to write this this book? And who is this book for? Yeah, th- th- thank you for that question. I love talking about my book, but can we take a 60 second time out here? Yeah. Grant, I, I listened to your podcast with Stephen Goskowski and I just loved it. Awesome. But I got to know how you scored 55 points in the second half of that, that football game. So let, let's just pause and, and hear yeah. that. And then we'll go back to the book. Can we do that? Absolutely. Yeah. So it was 21 0 at halftime. Uh, and coach said some really choice, minimal words to us. And we, we actually, as players, we, we actually owned it in the moment and acted like coaches, like the leaders defense went one room side of the room and the offense went the other. And we just talked and we, since it was the last game of the season before going into bowl season, and it was the last place team and we were getting whooped. It was one of those things that every time we had the ball, we scored every time that they, they punted the ball, we ran it back. They threw a couple of interceptions. We ran it back. And it was, I think there was seven or eight minutes left. And coach was like, hey, Grant, you're out. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? Coach, what? You're pulling me out? And he goes, Grant, it's 50, you know, 51, 55, whatever, the, the 21. I'm like, this is my last game. He goes, no, it's not. Like, we got bowl game. I go, but come on, this is the last game at home. And he, and he was like, no. But it was one of those things where when you are on such a roll, when you are, everybody is on a roll, it's like, it's such a high, you're like, you know, I don't want to call it a drug, but it was like, I don't want this to ever stop because I had never been there before. I'd never been like watching people being great on both sides of the ball on every single series. Um, it was just, we either capitalized on their mistakes or every time we had the ball, it was either a long run, a long pass, and it was just the most exciting football I've ever been a part of in, in a half. Wow. And it's still it's still a record to this day. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I just when I heard that, I thought, wow, fifty-five points and a half. And and yeah. I, I'm a professional basketball player, but I think I'd much rather watch a good football game than, than a basketball game. <laughs> and I love I love. You know, I grew up watching some of the great BYU quarterbacks throw the ball. So I, I just love the passing attack. Anyway, 
Thanks for sharing. Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, since bring up BYU is my, when I was playing at Chabot junior college in Hayward, um, my right tackle or guard, he was at that time in my life, he was like one of my best friends and his brother, who was our offensive line coach at the time, is a guy named Garrett 2J. And Garrett was the right tackle for Ty Detmer. And then he also coached with Bronco at BYU is with Bronco at Virginia. So, so, and, you know, and Garrett met his wife at BYU and all that. So uh, great connection. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how we did it. It was, uh, it's pretty cool. I've also been, um, I also coached football for a couple of years right before I became a mental performance coach. That's where I kind of got my start. It was Sarah high school. Okay. And that's where Tom Brady went and that coach, Patrick Walsh, he's my age. He's a little bit younger than I am. I'm 48. He's 46. He's been the head coach for 25 years. Wow. And so he got that job young and, uh, man, talk about a coach. Talking about he's intense and he's all about love. Like he tells the parents, Hey, if you don't like me kissing and hugging your son and tell him I love him, I don't want him on my team. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. And so, and I learned so much about just being a good coach just by watching him. And, and to this day, like I'm, I'm working with his son who is like a nationally ranked golfer and, that's another special football moment is just the coaching piece of like watching greatness of coaching um, and watching him screw up too. And, and seeing how he bounces back from those screw ups. It's just, it's, it was beautiful. Um, so I've, I've been blessed with, with some of these experiences, especially with the game of football. Yeah, love it. Yeah. So I'm sure you've got a bunch of great stories too. <laughs> I guess we have to talk about the book, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, let's set my love set my love for football aside here for a minute. <laughs> uh, do you want me to do you want me to re, re uh, ask that question? Yeah, sure, sure. Fire away. I'm thinking about Tom Brady now. That uh, I'm a big Tom Brady fan as well. But yeah. anyway, the question on the book was was um. So let's talk about your book, uh, The Values Delta. Um, I know what it's like to, to write a book and how exciting it is to, you know, put your thoughts and your stories, um, your principles out there. But when you think about when you were going through the process of writing this book, what was the motivation of writing the book? And who was, who's this before? Well, that, that, thank you for the opportunity to go this down this path. The, the, who's the book for? I like to say it's for the junior in high school and for the senior in the in the care facility and everyone in between, uh, because it's the 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 reason I wrote the book is that I, I wanted to try to make a difference in some small way in the lives of other people. I feel like I've been so blessed over the years by mentors and examples, different people that. I've been able to hear them speak or read their books, be influenced by just great leaders and teachers in, in different arenas. And, and I just wanted to share an idea or two through my book that might be helpful for a young person, for a middle-aged person in athletics, in business, in, in di different uh, 
arenas in life and, and even in the advanced years. And so, so it's a collection of stories about how our values make a difference in our lives. And some people will say the values delta, what does that mean? And I love the word delta. As one of the definitions of delta is a financial definition, which is simply change or difference. So if you had the numbers seven and 10, the delta would be three. And so it's really just how our values make a difference in our lives, how our values, through our values, we can change things for the better. We can make a positive difference or delta in our professions as well as in our personal lives. Awesome. You know what I love about values is it's, and I, I go back to my life a little bit, but I know a lot of times in throughout my life, but also in my corporate life, you know, I always ask, was asked the question of, you know, what are your values? Um, or, you know, I'm a part of a company and we're going through sales training and they're like, you know, write down your values. And I was always stumped. I'm like, okay, what, what is a value? And, and now what I, how, now I know how important it is to know what your values are and how to live them, how to be about it. And so I think as a mental coach, I, I try to, I try to teach athletes, young athletes, a lot about like, what is your value and also getting them to understand what their philosophy is. Cause people get scared of that word, especially when I was young, oh, philosophy, <laughs> but when you understand what your philosophy is and you're being about it man, you're intentional, purposeful, and the mindset gets created and there's all sorts of cool stuff. So I'm glad that we're, that you're writing this book for, for everyone, but for the younger population population, because understanding what values are and what they mean to you and defining them is, it's a beautiful thing. But it's also a great roadmap for you. Yeah. And in, in the book, what I, I, I do ask that question. I ask, what are your values? And in a way, it's an opportunity to describe who you are. But then a second question is, what do you value? And the third question is, how, how do your values impact what you value? And for a young athlete, she was a quarterback. I love it. <laughs> a young quarterback might say, well, one of my values is competitiveness. I'm a person of, of competitiveness. And I'd say, well, what, what do you value? And he might say, well, I value my teammates and, and I, I value uh, winning. I want to win a championship. So, so then what I would say is, okay, let's focus on competitiveness for a period of time. How can you become more competitive? And if you do that, I'm giving a short answer to, a, to, to what could be a, a long conversation, but how is your competitiveness, your competitive nature, how does that impact your teammates? Uh, what impact will I have on them? And, and then the next step is uh, how can you, how does your competitiveness impact the outcome of a game, uh, the difference between a victory or a loss? And, and take some time and think about that and think about the mental aspect of competitiveness. And if you're striving to be more competitive, so in, in this case, what I'd say is, all right, let, let's start here. How competitive are you? What, would, what grade would you give yourself <clears throat> on a, you know, the college grading scale? And it's, it's, well, I give myself a 3.0 because I think I could be more competitive, but I'm, I am competitive. Say, all right, let's focus on this for a week or a month. 
And at the end, give yourself a grade. And maybe in the end, it's 3.5. So through this exercise, we've created uh, a 0.5 delta. We've changed by 0.5. We've created that positive difference. And then we think about, all right, as you increase that competitiveness, again, the impact on your teammates and the impact on the outcome of a game. And I think through that mental process, a young quarterback could recognize, think about the impact, the ripple effect that my competitiveness has on my offensive line, on the skill positions, and, and really even on the defense. Because as they see that competitive nature in, in their quarterback, does that uh, help them uh, maybe play in a more competitive manner? So that's just one example of how defining a value impacts something that we value. And, and through that, that mental focus, uh, a delta is created. Now, is that how different is um, that from a priority value, or is, is that how you actually establish what a pri priority value is? Yes. So with, with priority value, as I outlined in the book, I, I use eight values that I call priority values, and some might call them core values. But I, a priority value for me is something that can change over time. But at this point in my life, these values are my priority. So for that young quarterback, he's a high school senior. One of his priority values might be competitiveness. But as he graduates and goes on to college and he goes to law school, maybe now one of his priority values is focus. Uh, because I need to focus on my academics so I can get a law degree. Uh, you know, competitiveness would probably still fit there, but it, it may be lower on the list. As we go through life and, and have different situations, those priority values uh, can certainly change. Uh, but but it, it, again, it's just uh, situational and conditional. When you talk about in your book, too, about value keywords, and that will that will definitely help you find focus and, and get you focused. Um, how important is language? Well, for, for me, highly important. I, yeah. I think our, our thoughts, our, our language is, is simply the output of our thoughts. And I, I believe so much uh, of uh, how we see the world, obviously, it, it just originates in a thought. And then how do we verbalize that? And for me, I enjoy having, I, I proactively seek out thoughts that, that can occupy my mind because if I don't, my mind wanders and, and there's so much ugliness in the world that, that I, <clears throat> I'll go down that path and think negative thoughts. And so I find it's just very helpful to proactively try to fill my mind with good, positive things. And then I end up verbalizing those in different situations. And that, that's where I want to be in life, seeing things <clears throat> in an optimistic light. And, and so that as I interact with other people, they, they feel a positive vibe coming from me. I totally, totally. 
you know, and, and when you think about these words that will, because I, I believe that words are their energy, the direction, right? The, the words and language can move you or they can stop you. And so we hear when you, so when you hear the word focus, for me, I think the, the, the center, the core of any performance is focus. Because if you're not focused at what you're doing or getting prepared for that performance, what are you focusing on? Then you're out of focus or you're distracted. And, I, and I'm sure you can connect with this. Um, you know, both of us, when we were growing up and we were competing, uh, we probably heard a lot of coaches and players, teammates saying, focus, come on, focus. Now that I'm doing this type of work, I'm like, I, when I hear that from coaches and parents, I'm like, focus on what? <laughs> yes. You know, that's such a broad word. I focus on my opponent, focus on my technique, my breath, my body posture. Like, what do you want me to focus on? So um, when you think about focus, like, because I think that it's really important. I, I have a strategy called the win. You probably have heard of this, the win mindset. What's important now? So if you're like, if you're wanting to get into focus or you get out of focus, ask yourself what's important now. And then I don't care what the result is, but if you act on it in the moment, that's winning, that's success, that's control, that's focus. And there's other ways to train focus. But so what, what is your take on, on training focus? Well, when, when you talk about focus, the, the word that was coming into my mind is distraction. And I think in, in today's world, in and outside of athletics, it's so easy to become distracted because there, there's, there's so much available to us uh, the, at our fingertips. We've got, got these. I was just going to say. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's just a great distraction. So I think now more than ever, it, it's important that, that we discipline ourselves so that focus can be maintained. I think it's harder to focus uh, today on a certain thing. And that, that's part of, part of the book is, the subtitle of the book is, is A Small and Simple Way to Make a Positive Difference in Your Personal and Professional Life. So, so what I ask in the book is focus on a small success, uh, a small, simple success, that's a victory. And, and that's worthy of, of praise and commendation. But it, it's uh, when there's so much going on, it's hard to, to, to develop that focus. But through the book, I outlined four steps, which is simply the purpose is focus on this one thing, this one value, how it impacts something that's meaningful to you for a short period of time and see if Delta is created. But the, the key point is, Keep it small, keep it simple, because I think as we do that, we can maintain focus. Sometimes we try to do 10, 20 things at the same time. We become distracted and we're unable to do any of it well. Yeah, exactly. And I think when you when you allow yourself to be so present in the moment to celebrate and recognize and be aware of the little wins, the little successes, that's how you build awareness. And that's one way to do it. Because when I'm, when I'm teaching athletes, like, hey, you want to change any behavior, you want to get into the present moment, you want to reframe, you, I mean, you want to breathe, visualize all these mental skills, you have to have an, build some awareness to get into the present moment. So it's one beautiful way to actually, to, how do I build awareness? 
pay attention to those little uh, micro wins, those little successes and honor them because you just brought awareness to it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. You and I share a lot of common ground. Uh, just listening to the things that, that you're sharing. And uh, I, I think in today's world, just to have a, a, a mental coach, how how critical that is now more than ever. Oh, man, more than ever. You know, I know there was a lot of, or there was a few things we want to talk about, about behaviors and, and optimism. And um, obviously I'll probably save that for another or another podcast with you because there's just there's I love hitting the ball back and forth with you on on, on these topics, but I do want to talk about gratitude. Um, the reason I want to talk about gratitude is because a lot of times when I had a, at first when I was adopting my my gratitude practice, I was kind of it was tough and it was tough in a way because I couldn't really connect to it of like thinking about all these little things every morning to write down, to be so grateful because it didn't seem authentic. Like I was forcing it. And I, and I see that same kind of rub when I'm working with athletes that it's hard for them to adopt it. But when you realize when you start to be so grateful, so grateful, and then something that's so impactful hits you or you experience something or you're just, and then you, then you, you pay love and gratitude to it. Then you're like, Okay. For me, I got it. My switch went on. I'm like, okay, that's why I do it. But it, it took a while. And I know you talk about strategies of, of maintaining gratitude. And, and what are some of the things you can share with my listeners about gratitude? Well, it, it makes me think of a question that I've struggled with. Is why aren't we more grateful? So for me, as I, I've thought about that, why is it hard for us to be grateful? And as, as I've, uh, again, pondered that, I, I think oftentimes we, we, we tend to, to think we, we have so much control that it's all about us. Mm. And I, I believe in God, and I believe that... <laughs> We're all blessed with certain gifts and we're, we're accountable to agree with as to what we do with those, the gifts that we've been given. But I, I, for me in my life, I've always tried to uh, recognize God's hand in my life. If, you know, as an athlete, uh, who blesses me with this energy to perform? and to do these certain things and to have these opportunities. And, and so part of it, it's almost a combination of gratitude and humility, recognizing the source of, of the, the situational blessings that, that we, we oftentimes are surrounded with. Sometimes we think, well, I did this, I did that, therefore it's all about me. And I'm the sole reason for my success. But I, I think we always need, in, in the spirit of gratitude, to, to, to sh share with God the, uh, share with him the moment, because he is the source of all, all these wonderful things. And oftentimes we get caught thinking, well, 
yeah, I'm good with what I've got, but I'd like more. I don't, I want this or I want that. Or I want the other thing. And, right. and, and instead of just enjoying the moment and being grateful for what we do have, uh, we're always striving for some different situation. So uh, for me, that's always going to be one of my priority values is gratitude and, and always remember the source and then go out there and, and try to do, do whatever I can to advance my cause in, in athletics or in my profession and know that God is always there ready to bless. You know, it's as you were talking, I was, cause I, I can't, it's pretty vivid when I started doing this practice and putting this stuff into place. Cause I feel like if I'm going to teach people these mental skills, I, I got to do them too. And, and so I've been doing this, you know, for a while, but I remember going back when I was, first writing in my journal in the morning and, and it, it was kind of, it was, it was tough. Like I was saying earlier, but as I, as you were speaking, I was I asked my question, well, what, what, why, why was it so tough? And the reason why I think it's because I had so many loops. I had a lot of baggage where I was focusing and caught into that. So it was really hard for me to really connect to the things to be grateful because those had so that had so much distraction and weight to it. And not only was gratitude tough at first, I had a really hard time being abundant. Like, what does that mean? Like, and so when I started to, to be open and to really, really just, just be open to things, not only was it allowed me to receive, but I also, then that allowed me to be grateful. And like the loop started to fade away. The baggage started to fade away. Right. And it was just, but that word, my wife, I've been with my wife for 20 years and for the first 10 years, she was just like, you need, you need to be abundant. You need, and I'm like, what does that mean? I don't understand it. Like, how do I source? Like, like how do I do it? And I, I could, I was fighting it. And then I just, I had to start with just being open and letting go some of that baggage in those loops. And then it's, it all started to fall in place for me. Yeah, th thanks for sharing that. I, 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 and I think that can apply in so many different areas in our lives. What do we struggle with and, and what do we want to improve on? And then stepping back and taking some time and allowing yourself to focus on whatever aspect, of, whatever value may be lacking or, or may not be clear in one's mind. And over time, I think we can all develop the clarity that, that you just outlined with any particular value that that has some meaning to us and i love the thought of, of abundance and i'd like to hear more about how that all came about for you yeah for me i think uh a lot of it was um yeah it was really funny the, the abundance thing was about money and you know being fiscally responsible fiscally capable um, and then when I realized the, the, what opened me about money was it wasn't, I shifted from really what was my relationship with money. And I started to realize, okay, what is it? Like, what is money? And that's to me, I thought it was success and promotions and all sorts of stuff, you know, external stuff. But I, when I got it, that it was energy for me and understanding the word current and currency and I just started to realize, okay, if I'm putting out good energy, well, I, I can't do that if I'm closed. Got to be open. And, and, I'm, and the more I'm grateful for the things, I'm creating the energy I will attract. The, the universe, God will, will respond. 
but I got to take care of it. I've got to, and I have to have a better relationship with this energy that moves because energy, <clears throat> money comes and goes. So I have to be more fluid with it. So that was my, as soon as I understood the, the energy of money, then my perception changed and then my abundance came about and then I became a little more grateful. Love it. Yeah. So enough about me. <laughs> uh, what do you think about this before we close here? When you, when you reflect on your whole career as a professional basketball player, as an entrepreneur, now an author, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Well, one thing that comes to mind that has stood out for me is, and it happens to be one of my priority values, is just optimism. The importance of how I choose to view the world. The importance of how I choose to view other people. Do, do I give them the benefit of the doubt? Do I, do I try to see the best? Start with that. Give them the opportunity to, to, to learn and, and, and grow in, in my circle. And I think that's, uh, that's probably been the most important thing for me uh, through the years is just having a, a positive view uh, of, of primarily of, of my fellow men and uh, expecting the best. You know, I, in my book, I outline a, a poem. It's called The Optimist Creed. And one of the lines I like in there is to, to talk health, happiness, and prosperity to every person you meet. And, and just to always be striving to convey that positive energy that, that you just mentioned. Uh, yeah. I think that's what's uh, been a primary factor in, in, in leading a fulfilling and enjoyable and satisfactory life with, with my spouse and my six kids and my 16 grandchildren to just try, try to view the world in the best possible light because there's certainly challenges that we all face and there's a lot of negativity. But the flip side of that is there's a lot of wonderful things in life and a lot of wonderful things to see in other people and to focus on that uh, more heavenly. Awesome. How can my listeners connect with you by your book? Learn about these, 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 these principles and these values. Yeah. Thanks. Everyone's invited to stop by my website. It's, it's the values delta.com. And if, if they'll come to the website, I invite them to scroll near the bottom of the page. And there's a, a video there, a link to a video. It's it's entitled No Tracks, The Value of Quiet Service. It's about a 13-minute video. It's a story my father wrote. It has a Christmas theme, but it, it just highlights the value of thinking about other people first and serving them in, in ways where you're not seeking any recognition. But be sure and bring a, bring a tissue. It's kind of a tearjerker. Wow. So come to the website, thevaluesdelta.com. You can, there's links there to buy the book, but uh, at a minimum, come and enjoy a, a nice, wholesome, uplifting video. Yeah, I'll say this real quick. In, in the, the theme of service, um, 
I, I always say this and I preach this, that the most important role, I don't care if CEO, NBA player, whatever, the most important role is to be in service. And when you're in service, and I got this later in life, um, there is a frequency in a, in a, a frequency that is just, when you're in service, you can't beat it. You just can't. And that's the role. And if we're all in service, man, it's, uh, we all unite. We're all together. We're connected. We're together. Um, so I can't wait to, to check out that video. Um, do you do outside of, you know, you have this book, you have this website. Do you work with companies? Do you work? How does it work as far as like working with teams and organizations? Yeah, I love to do that. And, and there's some contact information on the website as well. But what what I like to do is just visit with people. And, and it, it's really a, in a seminar format, kind of a, a work session where, you know, you, this can be a company of 500 people or a company, you know, a team of 15 people where they just sit down and outline what our values are. And you can do it individually or, or as a group and outline what we value. Simply go through that thought process of, okay, how are these values impacting the things that we value and what are we going to highlight first and second and third? And, and I, I, in a way, I kind of act as a coach and lead this group through this process and hopefully with the goal being in mind, creating Delta, making a difference. And it can be a small difference, but I've found that as we make small differences and improvements in our lives, over time, collectively, they, they become pretty significant. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Devin, I could speak to you for hours. Um, I know there's so much more to talk about, but about your book too, but I'll leave that for the readers to, to buy it and to experience it and get the impact from it. So thank you for sharing your, your thoughts, your energy, um, and your book. I'm really, really honored to have you on my show. Well, it's been a pleasure, Grant. I'm happy to do it again down the road, but I wish you all the success in the world. Beautiful. Thank you.